Today's reading comes from Luke, chapter 18, starting at verse 9 and going through to verse 17. And it can be found on page 1052 in the Blue Bibles. So that's Luke, chapter 18, verses 9 to 17, on page 1052. To some who were confident of their own righteousness and looked down on everyone else, Jesus told this parable. Two men went up to the temple to pray, one a Pharisee and the other a tax collector. The Pharisee stood by himself and prayed, God, I thank you that I am not like other people, robbers, evildoers, adulterers, or even like this tax collector. I fast twice a week and give a tenth of all I get. But the tax collector stood at a distance. He would not even look up to heaven, but beat his breast and said, God, have mercy on me, a sinner. I tell you that this man, rather than the other, went home justified before God. For all those who exalt themselves will be humbled, and those who humble themselves will be exalted. People were also bringing babies to Jesus for him to place his hands on them. When the disciples saw this, they rebuked them. But Jesus called the children to him and said, Let the little children come to me, and do not hinder them, for the kingdom of God belongs to such as these. Truly I tell you, anyone who will not receive the kingdom of God like a little child will never enter it. Thanks so much for reading, Catherine. We're going to focus on the parable of the Pharisee and the tax collector this morning. Good morning, and uh, do keep open the Bible in front of you. You may find it helpful as uh, we look at it this morning together. Matt and Max went to church one morning. Matt was a regular. He was there every week, come rain or shine. And he felt quite comfortable at church. Why wouldn't he? He knew everyone. He had Grown up there, he had gone through the Sunday school, he had gone through the youth group, and now he was a well-respected member of the church. Walking to take his usual seat near uh, the front, people greeted him warmly, and Matt knew that this was his home, his church, his family. Taking his seat, Matt bowed his head, shut his eyes for a few moments, and thought, it's good to be here. Matt, you see, took his religion seriously. He attended the prayer meeting before the service. He had read the passage before he'd left home that day. And actually, he had had an early night uh, the night before so that he would be on good form. There was no way that he was going to that uh, party. Way too much drinking, people smoking stuff that shouldn't be smoked, and gossiping about sex and stuff like that. No, Matt kept his distance from those types. And as all this crossed his mind in the moments before the service, he glowed with an inward satisfaction. Thank God, he said, that I've been spared all that. Thank God I'm a Christian. My conscience is clean. Nothing to confess. Nothing to feel ashamed about. Nothing. No way. It couldn't be. 
out of the corner of his eye, Matt caught sight of a familiar figure sneaking in just as the service was about to begin. It's Max, he thought critically. What on earth is he doing here? I bet he's never darkened the door in his life. And he looks well embarrassed, doesn't know where to sit. He won't know any of the songs. And goodness, if all of the rumors about him are even half true, then when it comes to the sermon, he's going to be in for one hell of a shock. But if Matt had been able to read Max's mind, he would have realized that precisely the same thoughts were going through his head too. What right, thought Max, do I have to be here? I haven't been to, Christmas, uh, to church since Christmas 94. Where do, I, where do I sit? How embarrassing. And I bet I won't know any of the songs. I'm going to stick out like a sore thumb. Oh, thank goodness. A seat. And it's near the back. I'll, I'll slide in and hide. No, he cried inwardly. That's Matt at the front. And he's seen me and he will be unbearable. As soon as the service is over, I'm out of here. Now, as is obvious, Max was not the religious type. In fact, all the rumors that Matt had heard about him were more than half true. As he entered the church that, sm- that morning, his head was throbbing. He'd have had way too many last night. And he had been wondering about how he was going to make it all the way through the service without a ciggy. Why on earth had he come? Was it because of the row he had had with his flatmate? Or because his girlfriend had dumped him again for flirting? Well, yes and No. Somehow that morning as he woke up, he had been overcome by a sense of just how dirty he was on the inside. What a mess he had made of his life. See, deep down, Max knew that he wasn't good enough. Suddenly, the guilt and the shame of it all brought tears to his eyes, and he felt his cheeks begin to redden and burn. Oh God, he groaned, oh God, have mercy on me. I tell you it was Max who went home in the right before God, not Matt. For all those who exalt themselves will be humbled, and those who humble themselves will be exalted. This is what the Lord Jesus Christ said wants all of us to understand this morning from verse 14, the principle that in his kingdom, the way up is down. Now, our difficulty in approaching uh, this story is recovering the shock factor, which is why I've tried to retell uh, the the story this morning. Really, it's a scandalous story. See, in, in our society, tax collectors are at least relatively respectable. Apart from the odd sarcastic joke, they're they're just middle-class professionals doing a job. But in Jesus' time, tax collectors were very much the bad guys. They were traitors who had collaborated with the Roman occupiers. They were 
thieves who overcharged in order to line their own pockets. If you think of a local Ukrainian mayor who sides with the Russian soldiers, then you'll get the idea of how the ordinary Jew felt about a tax collector. On the other hand, the Pharisees were very much considered the good guys, the respectable pillar of society types, and not the pantomime villains that many consider the Pharisees to be. See, mention the word Pharisee to anyone familiar with church, and we inwardly boo. So it's important for us to to work hard to get ourselves into the shoes of the original hearers. Tax collectors very bad, Pharisees very good. If we don't, we will miss the shock factor when Jesus says that it was the tax collectors and not the Pharisees who went home justified, in the right, before God. So let's look at each of these uh, men in turn. First the Pharisee, then the tax collector, as both of them go to the temple to pray. And together they show us the principle of verse 14. The Pharisee shows us the principle that all those who exalt themselves will be humbled. So the Pharisee, like many religious people, often exalt themselves and look down on everyone else. Verse 11, the Pharisee stood by himself and prayed, God, I thank you that I am not like other people. In his mind, he's He's a cut above. He stood by himself to avoid, no doubt, contamination from the riffraff like the tax collector. And I wondered if you noticed what it was that he prayed about. Well, largely, he prayed about himself. Notice how many times he says, I, in his prayer. It's about himself. His prayer is fundamentally not really a prayer at all. It is a performance. It oozes self-exaltation and self-congratulation. And his mistaken view of God is that God is going to be impressed. That perhaps God will award him a rosette for his religion. God thanks that I'm not like others, and especially not like this tax collector... It is pretty shocking when you think about it. Imagine uh, going to the doctor when you've once been able to get an appointment. And when he says, what's up? You say, well, doc, I'm absolutely fine. No problems whatsoever. I don't drink. I don't smoke. I eat all of my greens and I run 10K a day. I'm absolutely fine. Thank you very much. Never felt better. What could the doctor do for you? Nothing. You've just been wasting their time. Had you, however, allowed the doctor to examine you and run a few tests, they might have noticed the high blood pressure, the unusual trace on the ECG, that weird-shaped mole on your back. But the Pharisee isn't here for a spiritual examination. He's there to exalt himself for his impeccable religion. But let's just think about 
the nature of his religion. See, it's a, it's a negative religion. It majors on what he hasn't done. Well, I haven't robbed a bank, or I haven't committed adultery, he says. That's always a great tactic for peace of conscience, by the way. If you can list all of the sins that you haven't done, then you don't need to worry so much about all the ones you have done. I don't swear. I don't smoke weed. I don't cheat on my tax return. I've never murdered. Can God really ask for much more than that? His religion is negative, but it's also legalistic. It majors on the kind of things that he doesn't really need to do. Like fasting twice a week when Jews were only required to fast once a year on the Day of Atonement. And giving a tenth of everything, which we learn from elsewhere in the Bible, well included tithing down to the spice rack and the, and the herbs within it. He was only required to tithe his income. And again, it's another classic tactic of guilt avoidance. See, if you can add up a a bunch of pious things that you have done, well, surely then that outweighs all of the heinous things that you've done. Guilt removed. Refuse that extra drink. Attend a midweek meeting at church. Fire off a few prayers. Tip some money towards a few charities. Well, that'll put me in credit with God, surely. His religion is negative, legalistic, and comparative. It majors on his uh, religion in comparison to others. I'm not like other people, he says, not like this tax collector. It's really easy to, to find a whole bunch of people who we think are just way more guilty than ourselves, sometimes Tory MPs, or Philip Schofield, for instance, It is just another way in which we convince ourselves that God is happy with us because we're pretty sure that he's not happy with the person over there. You may have heard the well-worn story of the Sunday school teacher who, after telling this story to the kids, said, Now, children, let's thank God that we are not like the proud Pharisee. So these three approaches, focusing on a religion that is negative, legalistic, and above all, comparative, offend a holy God. And yet many people deceive themselves, leaving church, feeling that it all is just hunky-dory with them and God. After all, the Pharisee here shows absolutely no signs of a bad conscience. He feels just fine. But Jesus insists that he stood condemned before God. That he exalted himself and so he would be humbled at the judgment. By the way, it's not just the religious who can proudly exalt themselves. The irreligious can do it just as well. In a world of identity politics where people identify themselves as the one who is oppressed... And therefore, everyone else is an oppressor. When I'm the good guy and everyone else is the bad guy, well, it smells a little bit like, a, a little bit like Pharisee spirit to me. See, whether we call ourselves religious or irreligious, we should all be concerned by this parable. It's easy to critique 
other people, isn't it? Whilst falling into exactly the same trap as the Pharisee. Examining other people when we should be examining ourselves. See, if you ask me, Kevin, how are you going to be right in the sight of God? Well, my answer would be, well, by Jesus Christ, of course. But my prayer and it has really been to examine my own heart and say, well, yes, but am I trying to be part justified, part right with God through Jesus and part right with God through my own pathetic goodness? How do I deal with my guilt? That's my question. And your question should be, how should you deal with your guilt? See, Jesus teaches that whether we are religious or irreligious, there is such a thing as objective guilt before God. And failure to realize this means that the Pharisee who exalts himself will be humbled. But there is good news because the tax collector shows us this morning a better way. That brings us on to the second thing, the tax collector And the principle that all those who humble themselves will be exalted. So when the tax collector came to pray, he stood by himself alone. But for quite a different reason than the Pharisee. The Pharisee considered himself a class apart. The tax collector, however, considers himself unworthy. Verse 13 The tax collector stood at a distance. He would not even look up to heaven, but beat his breast and said, God, have mercy on me, a sinner. The tax collector does exactly the opposite of the Pharisee. He humbles himself. And Jesus says he went home justified before God, his guilt dealt with. Not good enough for the Pharisee, to be sure, but good enough for God. See, the Pharisee thinks that he can impress God. The tax collector knows that he can't. He knows that God is holy, but he also knows that God is merciful. And there are three things that the tax collector does, three things that we all need to do in order to be good enough for God. We need to stand where he stood. We need to look where he looked and we need to pray what he prayed. We need to stand where the tax collector stood. And he stood before God without any pretense, without any masks. He abandons all self-righteousness. He knows that he's not good enough. He says as much when he says, God, have mercy on me. And he literally says, not a, but the sinner. It is is as if he stands alone on his own before God. No other sinners except himself. And he comes clean. He offers no excuses for the things that he's done. No self-justifying caveats. No but at least as I'm not not as bad as so-and-so comparisons. He stood at a distance, knowing that he had offended a holy God and knowing he stood condemned. 
And until we stand where the tax collector stood, we will remain like the Pharisee. And he looked where the tax... We need to look where the tax collector looked. The tax collector tells... uh, Sorry, the text tells us that the tax collector would not even look up to heaven. By the way, it was customary to stand when praying and also to, to look upwards. But the, but the tax collector had his eyes downwards on the altar. Remember where he is. He's, he's in the temple at the hour of prayer just after the time when the priest would have offered a blood sacrifice for the sins of the people. His eyes aren't outward, blaming others, blaming his circumstances, saying, I just need some some counseling or some therapy to fix me. His eyes aren't looking inwards either at his own moral strength. He's not saying, I've made a mess of my life, but from now on I'm going to try just that bit harder, clean up my act, come to church every week, that sort of thing. No, he's looking at blood, at sacrificial blood, Now, blood makes most of us recoil when we see it, in in revulsion. And that response signifies God's response to human pride and arrogance. Our sin provokes and kindles the wrath of a just and holy God. And the tax collector knows that. That's what he sees. But he also sees something else when he looks at the blood. Because blood signifies a substitute. The point of an animal sacrifice is that the animal dies for you in your place. Blood speaks of death, the death of a substitute. Of course, Jesus doesn't want us to look at an animal's sacrifice. No, that was just a a picture. He was on his way to Jerusalem to die on a cross, cross quite deliberately to be our substitute. What the tax collector needed, what each of us needs, is a substitute to die in our place. Forgiveness, you see, isn't cheap. Sin and guilt are very serious, must be paid for. So we need Christ to die as our substitute in our place to pay our penalty. To find forgiveness from God, you and I must look where the tax collector looked, to the sacrifice that God in his great love has provided, the blood of Christ. We need to stand, we need to look, but we also need to pray what the tax collector prayed. What did the tax collector pray? Lord, have mercy. Now that word mercy is actually quite an unusual one in the original. And to better translate it, we would probably need to use an old English phrase, which goes something like, God be propitiated towards me. Now, for God to be propitiated means that his wrath against our sin is no longer provoked and kindled. And remember that the tax collector is praying this 
as he's looking at the blood. He's saying, oh God, may that sacrifice count for me. I've got nothing to offer you, no excuses, no goodness, but Lord, please have mercy on me, the sinner. He's not asking to feel better about himself. And he's not saying, oh God, I can't forgive myself. He's asking for God to forgive him, to justify him. And in this case, Jesus declares the true mind of God on the matter. God's verdict is that this man went home justified before God. The idea of being justified comes straight from the law courts. It's a legal thing. The tax collector had stood, as it were, in the presence of his God and judge, and our God and judge. And though he was guilty, because of the blood sacrifice, the judge acquitted him on the basis of that blood sacrifice. Justification was his only hope, and it is ours as well. Now, it's a personal question, but I do need to ask you this this morning. Have you done what the tax collector did? Have you stood in his place before God with all your masks off? Have you looked at the blood of sacrifice as the only way to deal with with your sin and guilt? And have you made it personal? Have you asked God to make the blood of Christ count for you? All without exception, young or old, rich or poor, black or white, all who exalt themselves and don't humble themselves to receive God's free forgiveness like the tax collector will be brought low and humbled. Everyone who trusts in self, though you may not be a robber or evildoer or an adulterer, and even though you may fast twice a week and give a tenth of everything you have, will be humbled at the judgment. See, if after hearing this parable, you refuse to humble yourself, Jesus Christ says you will be humbled in hell. I wonder how many humbled sinners there are here today. Surely we're not all Pharisees. Surely we're not all tax collectors. Surely you can't bear the thought of going home today thinking that you might go home unjustified before God. I mean, what if? What if you were to meet the judge sooner than you thought you would? And find that you only have your own excuses and your own pathetic goodness and not Christ as your substitute. What then? But Jesus promises that all those who humble themselves, whoever they may be, whoever they may be. You see, if instead of fasting, you're, you're the person who's been getting drunk, instead of giving a tenth, you have been a thief. Even if you have been an adulterer or done other evil things, yes, even if you've murdered somebody, if by God's grace you humble yourself like the tax collector, 
you will go home this morning right in God's eyes. And one day you will be exalted to the highest heaven as well. Really, everything depends upon whether or not you have been justified. How will you go home today? Like the Pharisee, trusting in your own goodness? Or justified before God, like the tax collector? It's a choice because the promise is made to all of us. All those who exalt themselves will be humbled. And those who humble themselves will be exalted God is not looking for a worthy life, but for a humility which says, I am unworthy. God, have mercy on me, a sinner. Let's pray. Lord God, we thank you for this very serious warning, but also for this wonderful promise that there is free forgiveness made available through the cross by your grace. Help us to humble ourselves so we may receive it, and even today, so that we may go home justified before you. And we pray it in Jesus' name. Amen.